0: Welcome to the Business of Dairy Podcast. I'm Sheena Carter, Development Officer with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Team. Recently, a farmer reference group was formed in the Mid Coast region of New South Wales to provide information and guidance on an economic and risk analysis of rearing non-replacement calves. The project was led by Dan Armstrong, Senior Consultant with the RM Consulting Group, who is my guest today. In the analysis, Dan and his team used two of the farms as case studies where the goal was to sell the non-replacement calves as dairy beef and investigate whether it would be economically viable to hold on to these calves and pursue this alternative pathway. This was the second phase of a Dairy Up project looking at sustainable pathways for surplus calves led by Dairy Australia. The first phase involved a variety of consultation activities in the Nara region with stakeholders involved in the whole supply chain, looking at alternative calf management pathways. Welcome to the Business of Dairy podcast, Dan. You're familiar to many in the dairy industry through your consultancy work, delivery of farm business management workshops through Dairy Australia and other dairy related research projects. Can you just tell our listeners a bit more about yourself, please?
1: Yeah, thanks, Sheena. Uh, yeah, I'm a consultant based in Gippsland area. I've worked in the dairy industry for about 25 years in um, a number of roles. And I guess with a focus on farm business management and dairy farm systems. Yeah, my work now tends to be a, a mixture of projects looking like this looking at analysing issues for the dairy industry and um, yeah, farm business management work with individual farmers.
0: Excellent. So you've got a lot of experience behind you, which is great to be able to bring to projects like this one. So the broad aim of this project, which was looking at um, the economics and risk of replacing uh, rearing, sorry, non-replacement dairy calves... And the idea was to help farmers in their decision making around the viability of sort of setting up a system on farm where non-replacement calves are consistently raised for sale into different beef markets, as opposed to sort of selling them at at that one to three weeks of age, as happens in a lot of cases. So if we just start at the basic level, can you explain what we mean by non-replacement calves in a dairy business and what some of the the non-financial challenges are for the industry and farmers in this regard?
1: So, yeah, I guess we've talked broadly about them as non-replacement calves. Traditionally, that was all the bull calves and any um, heifers that weren't wanting to be retained as replacements. The makeup of those surplus calves has probably changed a little bit with the introduction of sex semen and the potential to target the replacement heifers with that. The scenarios we were looking at was moving from situations of conventional dairy breed semen and mop up with dairy bulls. So assuming that 50% of the calves would would be male calves and then there'd be some surplus female dairy calves as well. And the change we were looking at was using sex semen for replacement dairy heifers and then using either beef semen or beef bulls for the remainder of the herd where you weren't wanting to target replacements.
0: Excellent so I guess there's a number of things that farmers are having to consider it's you know the number of replacements that they're normally going to retain in their system and if you know if you're retaining more calves there's more labour all those sorts of things and you've got to have a market to target as well if you are retaining those animals. So before we dive too deeply into the analysis that you've done, can you explain what some of the, the financial challenges are for farmers looking at rearing the non-replacement calves in terms of costs and infrastructure, etc.?
1: Yeah, well, I guess there's a, a lot of the operational costs that occur in that pre-weaning period we're assuming that replacement heifers would probably use any of the non-saleable milk um, in their rearing. So we're assuming that the surplus cards would be predominantly reared on milk replacer. So significant costs in that pre-weaning period and significant labor requirements. And weaning, significant amounts of grain in the ration and some good quality hay required and then assuming that they were kept on to 450 kilos or beyond that grass might then make up a significant component of the diet which we were wanting to analyse it in a way where we ensured that it wasn't going to be compromising the dairy operation.
0: So, And I guess one of the challenges in doing... The analysis is the beef market prices as well and we know that can can be a lot of variation in that market i think we've sort of seen in you know 2022 we had some very strong market prices which you know all of a sudden has pretty much disappeared coming into the 2023 year so that's where i guess a lot of the, the risk probably is in these systems
1: yeah that's exactly right <laughs> i think when there's project was initially conceived. It was um, in extremely buoyant beef markets uh, and yeah, when the project was was finalised it was a very different scenario in terms of beef prices and demand for beef animals and I guess you know, it was a good period to be conducting the project over. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone in the dairy industry that that there'll be times when you can make good money out of this and there'll be times when there won't. What we were trying to do was to quantify how often those two different scenarios would occur and start to stimulate thinking about and how we avoid the scenarios where there isn't any additional profit made from rearing those surplus calves
0: yeah it is a it is a real challenge and like you say it's not a surprise to dairy farmers they've lived through these cycles many times before so I guess everyone's acutely aware of the challenges in that space but uh, I think the work that you've done is really good in, in that it's sort of quantified in this example could you just talk about we had two case study farms in New South Wales in the sort of Kempsey and Taree area of New South Wales which were operating two different or do operate two different systems. Can you expand on that a bit?
1: Yeah, so these two farms were chosen because they did represent slightly different case studies, one being a year-round calving system where the need for additional infrastructure if the surplus calves were reared wasn't too substantial, and the second being more of a batch calving system where I guess the more intense uh, rearing of the calves meant that there was periods where the current infrastructure would have been quite inadequate and required more significant investment to enable those surplus calves to be reared on the dairy farm.
0: Okay, great. So uh, I guess their sort of normal practice on those two farms is predominantly selling their calves at that, you know, one to three weeks of age.
1: Yeah that's right so that had been the traditional practice and that's what we assumed as our base situation.
0: And then from there you've changed that baseline system to a targeted sort of breeding strategy with sex semen over part of the herd and then the dairy beef uh, AI or bull over the rest of the herd and then rearing those through to, to different weights. Obviously that it incurred some additional costs as we've already touched on, but can we talk about some of those costs in a a bit more detail and some of the assumptions around the costs?
1: Yeah, we'd assumed that it would be milk replacer that would be used to get them to weaning. That was probably the most significant cost in that pre-weaning period and we assumed with all of these costs that we looked at, uh, we assumed a range that could occur and we analysed, you know, the whole variety of price. price scenarios that could be expected. So yeah, we assumed a range in milk replacer that could effectively be from between sixty cents and ninety-five cents per litre. The grain price had some impact and we assumed that that grain could have been between about $300 and $550 per tonne depending on the year. We assumed some ranges in beef price which were also very significant ranges that we were assuming that for most of the markets that it could be somewhere between $2.20 per kilo of live weight and up to $5 plus at the top end of the range for different beef markets.
0: Okay, great. And I think you mentioned earlier also the additional labour required in this situation. Obviously, we're hanging on to these animals and feeding them a bit more.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we assumed that it was roughly an extra four and a half hours a day of labour Predominantly, most of that extra labour occurring in the pre-weaning period, then assuming a little bit more labour in the post-weaning period to check the livestock and move and feed out hay or silage.
0: Great. Uh, so from that, we need to uh, look at the, the beef markets that you were, well, were targeting in this instance, and, and you had effectively four different weight ranges and markets that you were targeting for the animals being read can you talk about them as well
1: yeah in in terms of the markets i guess we were thinking the two main markets being the manufacturing beef market and the feeder steer market And I guess also looking at the costs incurred if you were to sell them just at weaning where it wouldn't actually be a finished market. In most cases, it would be moving them on to someone else who would take them to the next stage before slaughter. We predominantly broke it into four periods of pre-weaning period, the 100 to 150 kilo period, then the 350, 400 kilo scenario where we were targeting the feeder steer market, and then looking at up to 600 kilos where it could be a manufacturing market.
0: Okay, so Dan, can you just explain for the listeners what, what is the difference between the manufacturing and the feeder market?
1: Yeah, I guess in general terms, how well, we were thinking about it is the manufacturing market would be primarily just focused on the total, total live weight of the animal, whereas the feeder steer market, the breeding and feeding of the animal to meet specifications for marbling and fat cover to target those premium beef products would be much more important.
0: So we've used some assumptions that we were testing with the the farmer group on the mid-north coast, some assumptions around the costs to rear the calves to different weights and taking into consideration the different markets that we're targeting for the animals, and then you've looked at the profitability of animals in each of these markets under a range of different beef prices. What did that reveal about the profitability and risk of these different markets?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sheena. There was a a huge range in the likely contribution that the dairy beef enterprise could make to the, the profitability. So we were seeing ranges between them adding up to $900 per head of extra profit to the enterprise down to the worst case scenario of actually losing close to $600 per head in a bad case scenario. And approximately 50% of the time, it was above the break-even scenario. The fetus steer market Certainly did offer some potential to, to get some higher prices in the better scenarios and probably to lift the average profitability of it up overall. It didn't make a huge contribution in terms of eliminating the worst case scenarios when demand for beef is really low.
0: So, Dan, looking at, at the numbers in your analysis, it seemed to be that it was that sort of 450 kilo feeder market that was the more profitable scenario?
1: Good question, Gina. It On paper, it did appear that keeping them on to somewhere beyond 400 kilos and targeting the feeder market was the most profitable. And in general, on paper, keeping them on for longer appeared to be more profitable. But I think we know in reality on dairy farms that it's um, going to be more likely that most dairy farms would be wanting to move them on earlier rather than keeping them on to four to six hundred kilos. And I think that's a legitimate risk management thing in terms of the longer that they're kept on, the more likely that you're going to be going through a very dry period or a really wet winter where you're really pinched for feed. And it's probably quite legitimate that the approach most dairy farmers are going to want to take is to be selling those animals on at an earlier stage rather than wearing the risk of taking them for a long period where you're more likely to encounter some very high feed costs.
0: Yeah, and I guess the other thing to add to that, Dan, is land and land availability on the farm. Obviously, you're going to need some you know, reasonable acreages to be able to do this, which In in some regions, is going to be a big challenge, perhaps not so much the inland regions of New South Wales in particular, but coastal regions, uh, a bit of a challenge there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we assumed a pasture grazed feed cost, which could have been either adjustment, could have been an additional lease block, or it could have been growing more pasture on the existing area depending on the resources of the different farms. I think we've allowed enough extra cost to cover those scenarios, but it doesn't really reflect the challenge of actually accessing that grazed feed within you know a reasonable vicinity of where the dairy farm is. Which could be a challenge.
0: Yes, well and truly. Now I guess another thing that we need to consider is the infrastructure needed on farm to raise more calves which for some systems might be easier than others, but uh, with the two case study farms, you've mentioned we had two different carving patterns in those and you did some work looking at the cost of additional infrastructure. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, so we assumed for the year-round carving farm, which was slightly larger, that a renovation or I guess extension of their calf rearing facilities of approximately thirty-five thousand would probably be adequate for that farm. Whereas the other farm with the batch farming carving system, even though it was a smaller herd size, we assumed that they'd need to be spending about seventy-five thousand to build an additional calf rearing facilities. And I think we're we're actually looking at two case studies in a region where that spend's probably going to be a lot less than it would be for a single carving farm in southern Australia, in southern Victoria or Tasmania. A lot of single carving patterns, and probably climatic conditions that mean the control of temperatures a lot more important than it is in the region where these two case studies were.
0: Mm, sure. And did you look at the payback period on that investment?
1: Yes, so we did analyse the payback period for the, the two different farms. Given that year-round carving pattern, it was a fairly small capital investment. It could potentially be paid back very quickly for the batch carving farm where it was a more significant capital investment. It could have been, in the worst-case scenario, it could have been upwards of 15 years before that additional capital investment was paid back. And I'd imagine there's a risk for farms with greater requirement for additional infrastructure that that payback period could be quite significant.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot to consider. It's not just a simple, simple decision of I'm going to raise a few more calves and push them through to a certain market. There's a lot to consider before getting into these systems, and I think... It kind of leads on to the other some other points around you know farmers making business decisions for lots of different reasons and it's not always purely an economical reason but can you touch on some of the other considerations regarding rearing non-replacement calves on farm
1: it definitely is a complex decision and we've mentioned a couple of times that when these profitable dairy farm businesses are looking to you know add this additional enterprise on they wouldn't be wanting to see it detract from the underlying profitability of the dairy enterprise and i think there's a risk that it could detract from not just the calf rearing but the whole business performance in terms of i guess Spreading the attention of the managers more thinly would be a risk that would need to be planned for and managed to ensure that the attention to detail for the dairy operation wouldn't be compromised at all by adding this additional enterprise in. That could have a financial impact. It could just be a lifestyle impact. The other aspect is just in terms of the goals and motivation of the farmer that there probably was quite a lot of farmers that we've talked to that said, oh, I'm a dairy farmer and I'm motivated to breed good dairy animals. It just isn't something that I find rewarding. And I'm motivated to, to put a lot of extra attention into something that isn't something that gives me a lot of satisfaction.
0: Yeah, not the core business. You've got to put your effort where you're going to get reward, I guess, is probably one way, one way to put yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So Dan where to from here I think as part of your farmer group on the mid-north coast you started to develop a a decision support calculator for farmers for that group to trial whereabouts is that at?
1: That tool's been developed in draft form and circulated to the the farmers that were in the the reference group, which we really value the feedback that they provided to this project. And they've been given the opportunity to test that and allow them to put in uh, the unique costs and returns that they might expect for their individual situation. I guess the next step is to collect their feedback and decide whether it's worth developing and distributing that calculator further.
0: Right, yes, I think it'd be... um... handy tool, I guess, to aid people's decision making given their own unique variables and input costs, target markets, etc. So um, yeah, I've obviously had a a cursory look at at that calculator and it does look quite good. So it'll be good to get the farmer feedback and, and see their view on it as well i think this you know non-replacement calves is an ongoing focus of the dairy industry and i know that uh, dairy australia and mla have partnered in another project called growing beef from dairy can you touch on that explain what that project is for the listeners
1: so that project involves setting up producer demonstration sites and getting a group of farmers with a common interest around the beef from dairy issues and then doing some, some on-farm monitoring of what different farmers are trying in that group and building learning activities around that where learnings are shared between the farmers that are trialling different things on the farms there's upcoming opportunities to get involved with that. And there'll be a call for more producer demonstration sites and that'll be advertised on the website for the Beef from Dairy project.
0: Excellent. And I can put a link in this podcast's show notes if people are interested in looking into that further, if it's something that interests them. Any other thoughts on where to from here, Dan?
1: Yeah, I guess there is a few things that we weren't able to analyze within this project. It would be good to, to analyze a, a carving pattern where it was a very tight seasonal carving pattern, where the pressure on infrastructure and labor is greater in that intense period of carving. Could also be worthwhile to analyze a scenario where a lot more dairy heifers were raised. We've seen that market for surplus dairy heifers fluctuate a bit. The export market for dairy heifers wasn't an option for the case study farms in that area that we looked at. So we didn't we didn't analyse that in any detail, given that it wasn't an option for them. The, the other good thing about having set up this detailed analysis of a couple of case studies is that as we gain better knowledge on what can be done in terms of feeding and breeding of these meat from dairy animals, we can update these results as we get better animals and better pathways for them to go down.
0: Yes, I think that'll be an interesting space to, to keep watching as people target different markets and develop the end product that they're trying to, to sell into that market over time. Yeah,
1: that's right.
0: Look, we'll uh, have various links uh, in the show notes, as I mentioned, to get access to further information on this project um, on the Dairy Up website, etc. But are there a few key points that you might like to leave with farmers considering a dairy beef pathway in their business?
1: Yeah, in terms of key messages, I think... Understanding the range of possible scenarios that could occur in terms of the profitability of adding dairy beef animals to the enterprise. And I think putting a lot of thought into managing the downside periods and avoiding the occurrence of those worst case scenarios which can be challenging given that decisions have to be made well ahead of time in terms of joining decisions and when the animals are sold. Whatever decisions made, I think you've got to be putting a lot of attention into ensuring that it doesn't detract from the dairy business and probably making sure it's something that someone in the business really enjoys doing, gets satisfaction out of doing it well. I think there could certainly be a role for a specialist calf rearer that may be operating in a partnership with a dairy farm business if it's not the core business of the dairy farmer to be raising those beef animals.
0: Yes, I think that's a good suggestion to find someone with the the interest and the the expertise, and they can make, I guess, their own business out of that component. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I think so. If, if there's someone with the, the passion to do that really well, it's a matter of finding pathways for for that specialist car freer to ensure that they've got a reliable and profitable business.
0: Okay, thanks, Dan. Um, it's been excellent chatting to you about this project and it's great to have some you know some numbers to put to the various scenarios around dairy beef pathways uh, to quantify it and I think you know we touched on it often farmers have lived through a lot of the the variability in seasonal conditions and pricing conditions to certainly have a, a gut sense on you know, sometimes it's profitable, sometimes it's not profitable. Um, But this really sort of quantifies that gut sense to my mind. So thank you very much for your time today. And yeah, we will look forward to potentially hearing more about what might happen with further investigations into the dairy beef markets.
1: Yeah, no worries, Sheena. That's no problem. I would also like to Thank the farmers, the case study farmers for volunteering their information and the group of farmers that provided input into this project that we wouldn't have got the quality of results that we, we did without them. And also Sheena and Blake Carter for, for pulling that group together and also I'd like to thank thank Tristan Wardley and Lauren Jones the, my colleagues that did a fair bit of the work involved in this project so yeah thanks everyone
0: yes indeed it takes it takes a team doesn't it Dan <laughs>
1: yeah yep definitely
0: lovely yep. all right thank you very much thank you for listening to this month's podcast produced by the New South Wales DPI Dairy Business Advisory Unit This series is brought to you with funding and support from the Hunter Local Land Services. The show notes to this episode include links to the Dairy Up website where you can find further information on this project and Dairy Australia's Surplus Carbs website, including information on the Growing Beef from Dairy project. We'd love you to share this podcast with your networks and feel free to send any feedback or suggestions for future episodes to thebusinessofdairy at gmail.com.